Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. again. Everyone okay? Yeah, good. A lot of good stuff going on and so much to be thankful for. I want to go ahead and dive in. I want to, the, the plan would be over this week and next week, it, although it may take longer, we'll see, is to go through a little bit of the book of Revelation. Aye, 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 right? Now this is going to be good. So we're going to hit the, uh, the, the church's in the book of Revelation. So it's, it's really where Jesus is speaking personally to John. So I want to go through some of that. It's, you know, each day that we live brings us closer to the return of Jesus, right? We're as close as anyone's ever been to him coming back. That's profound, I know. But it's true. And when I read Revelation, uh, and particularly some of the the last things that Jesus said before he was crucified, you read Luke 21, you read Matthew 24, where he talks about the end times, and you read some of this revelation, you just, it's, uh, it's like, wow, I, I feel like we're, we are in this. It feels like we are so in the midst of what is going on. And so there's some really important key things that Jesus spoke personally to John to deliver to the churches. He wanted them to know this is important. Because Jesus loves us. He said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he also said, yeah, really some things to John out of great concern for his body. He said, please pass this along to them because of my concern here. And so if Jesus is concerned about some things, I think we should talk about them, right? We should have these things brought out so that we are not led astray. Uh, one of the things that you hear me say over and over and over, which comes from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, where Paul says, I'm concerned for you, Corinthians, that you would be led astray from the purity and simplicity of devotion to Jesus. He's concerned for them. And then you hear Jesus' concern. You see the, the apostles and John as well, that you'll be doing a GT going through the book of John, you'll, you'll hear his concern, especially when you get to first, second, and third John, but you'll hear his concern for the church. So there's concern that God has, that the apostles had, and that I have, honestly, for the body of Christ, for those that are entrusted to me here, that I share as often as I can things that will keep us from going astray, because there are many things. The enemy is playing for keeps. He's trying his very best. He's got nothing new, but he uses the same old things over and over and over and over again in different ways, different uh, ways to try and hit us, to get us distracted, to, get, to change our devotion, our simple and pure devotion to Jesus to something else, to get us devoted to something else, to get things complicated instead of simple. And, uh, and so we want to go through a little of this. Let me first start with just a little bit of background in, in who this man John is. We know some about him, don't know tons. He was one of the fishermen brothers that Jesus invited to follow him, probably the youngest of the disciples. 
At one point, Jesus names them sons of thunder, right? I think it was because, and if you've seen The Chosen, I encourage you to watch The Chosen. It's really good too. They kind of have a scene there where Jesus calls in the sons of thunder. Uh, and it was after they were asking Jesus if they could just call fire down from heaven and burn up the Samaritans. And so that's probably, I think that's probably pretty accurate of where he got the name for them, sons of thunder. But then you see John goes from Jesus calling him that to at the end of his life, if you trace through both the scriptures and other writers, um, extra biblical writers, historians, where they talked about John, that he became this incredible man of love, where he was a man who was so focused on the love of Jesus and abiding in the love of Jesus. He's one who wrote about Jesus saying that in John chapter 15, abide in me, abide in my love. John wrote that. And John, toward the end of his life, went from a son of thunder to this man of love. He really had a change, a process throughout his life of changing his life and his heart to be someone that was so in love with the person of Jesus, so devoted to him, that Jesus chose him of every person who's ever lived to give him what we have in the book of Revelation. The greatest revelation of Jesus of what's going to happen in the end came to John. I think there's a message in that for us as we abide in the love of Jesus and stay there, uh, there's revelation of who he is to us. For others as well, but for us personally, it is so crucial. And I'll keep talking about that over and over again. We cannot leave the love of Jesus. And in, in fact, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit here as well. Okay. What we know too is that John outlived the other apostles, uh, experienced Jesus who knows how many times, and saw him in different forms, from when he knew him personally to after the resurrection to when he was in his 90s, he sees Jesus in, in different forms. Uh, when he was on the island of Patmos, uh, where he was exiled, basically, as punishment for sharing the word of God. Uh, dipped in hot oil, we're told, by one historian, but he did not die. Continued to share and write, have experiences. So uh, we're going to begin reading. Let's, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm going to read some of this. If you don't have your Bible with you, we'll have it up on the screens. Our guys are really good at this uh, in helping out. Let's just read some of this. I'm going to buzz through some of this fairly quickly. I don't know how many churches we'll get to. We may just get through one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. So John is called a bondservant, or he identifies himself as a bondservant of Jesus here. Verse 2, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed, in my translation, the things which are written in it, for the time is near. There's three things that stand out there. That last verse, blessed is the person, a blessing just for reading this. So we receive that blessing, Lord, as we're about to read this. Holy Spirit, speak to us, show us, reveal, continue to reveal what you showed John to us. Help us to follow you. Amen. It says, blessed is the person who reads it, who hears it. Reading is different than hearing. 
who hears it, I'm paying attention to what, you know, I've read, sometimes I've read chapters and can't remember one thing I read. Have you ever done that? Because you're thinking about something else while you're reading. It's saying here, read it and hear it. In other words, be focused, be paying attention on this. And heed it, obey it. The word heed really there means to guard. Guard it, guard what you heard, what you read, then you heard, guard that. And I think that also speaks of applying it. Make sure that we apply what is, what is about to be said by Jesus. And it's interesting here as well, it says it's for, right off the bat, who, who is this information for? It's for the bondservants of Jesus. Now that's an interesting term, bondservant. That's not one that you use every day. But when we go back to the origination of bondservant, you have to go all the way back to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, it speaks of slaves that were set free, but they loved their master so much and they appreciated him that they said, I will use my freedom and choose to continue to serve you. So though I'm set free, I can do whatever I want to do. I can go wherever I want to go. I'm going to stay and serve you. And by a sign of that, they would take that servant up to a wood door or post with his earlobe. And the master would take an awl and pound right through his earlobe and basically pierce his ear. And that was the sign that he was a bondservant. So a bondservant is the one who's had his ear pierced that symbolizes I have been set free, yet I'm following this master. I'm staying, I'm not leaving. That's what a bondservant is. They have, they've got full freedom, but they choose their master. So in this case, for us, if you're called a bondservant, Jesus says there are those who are my bondservants. It's someone who's been set free. When you receive Jesus, you get set free, freed from your sin, freed from the chains of bondage, forgiven, yet at that moment, we believe him, we know him, we receive what his blood does, the power of his blood, yet we get to choose whether to be his bondservant or not. Not every Christian, let me tread on different water here, hang on. I don't think every Christian is a bondservant. Because you can believe, it says actually even the, demon, the demons believe and shudder, Right? But are they bondservants of Jesus? No. You can believe but not follow him. You may, not, you may use your freedom to do what you want to do rather than what he wants us to do. So a bondservant is who this is for. These, these words that he's about to speak, those who give their full loyalty and love in service to Jesus. And John is one of these. Okay, verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, and really these churches are all in modern day Turkey today, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. There's a lot we could talk about in all these things. I'm going to not go into each, each thing here. We're just going to hit a few of the highlights um, Verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I love that description of Jesus. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us 
to be a kingdom. You are the kingdom. Jesus said that in Luke, I think it's chapter 21. Where's the kingdom? It's within you. The kingdom of heaven is within you for those who follow him. He has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse seven, behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. This is really uh, speaking of what's a prophecy in Zechariah 12, 13, 14. If you read those chapters, it speaks of this right here happening, that those who pierced him will actually mourn that they did that. I don't understand exactly how that works. Uh, in one sense, we all pierced him because it was our sin that he bore, right? But in another sense, there were those who did physically. The Romans, some of the the Jewish leaders at that time, they will see him coming in the clouds. I was yesterday looking up at the clouds. I do that often, uh, sat on our back porch with my wife, and we're just looking at these incredible, beautiful clouds. Just, you know, so peaceful and flowing. With I, I love clouds. And, you know, the thought when I do that often is, one day, Jesus will be riding on those. And one, there, there will be a day these clouds are going to be different. And the king of all kings will return in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be quickly, but it says here, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Verse eight, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. What uh, an experience John is having here, hearing these things. Verse nine, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. He's a partaker with us in, in all of those things. What was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Uh, we don't know exactly what that means, but it could, it could definitely mean the day Sunday, like today, because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, could be referring some, there's a huge debate in all this. Um, not sure. I do think that's what he's speaking of. He was a, this was a Sunday when he was in the spirit that day. And I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Verse 13, in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. You know, John knew the son of man. He saw him, he said he looked like him, clothed in a white robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. So he looked a little bit like him, but there were some features that I'm not used to seeing, basically. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in the furnace. His feet are glowing. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In the right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. 
which he gets more on that revelation of Jesus later on in the book of Revelation. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades or the place of the dead. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. So here's some things that are going to happen and some things are going to happen soon, now, and then there could be some things that happen later. And as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, Jesus interprets what, he's, what John saw right here. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, which the word angel always means messenger. We're not exactly sure if he's speaking of actual angels or he's speaking of maybe the bishops or the leaders of those churches, which are messengers of the gospel to those churches. Not exactly sure. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So John sees Jesus in a completely different form than he's ever seen him before, but he recognizes who he is as Jesus is, is speaking to him. It's interesting, I wonder if, as I read this uh, a long time ago, I remember wondering if, since there are basically speaking to a church of each city, there's a church of each city. So there's probably the church of Winston-Salem in the Lord's eyes, right? Not just this fellowship or the fellowship down the street, but I wonder how the Lord sees us maybe as the church of Winston-Salem. And wonder if there's an angel assigned as there is here to the church of Winston-Salem. I don't know. They're just questions I have as I, as I read these kind of things and wonder. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church or the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write these things. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. So Jesus, every time that he gives a message to John in here, he tells a little bit about himself, who he is, and then he gives the message. Here he's telling a little bit about himself. In Ephesus, interestingly enough, this is the, the first church that he's writing to, that he's speaking to and asking John to write to. But this is John's church. This is the church that John is the pastor of. This is his home church. This is the area that he planted, that he's responsible for. Verse two. Well, let me say this. I, one of the things that's encouraging to me, and even just the first thing that Jesus said, is that I'm the one that's walking among the churches. And I think he still is. He's walking among us. He's still near and close. He will never leave or forsake. He's He's among us as he declares there. Verse two, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. There's a lot of that nowadays too. And there are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Then in verse four, but I have this against you. So this is an interesting thing too. As Jesus speaks to these churches, you'll see as we go through the rest of them here this week and next week, hopefully, 
that when Jesus is communicating something to these churches that he loves, that he's concerned for, he encourages them first, as we just read. You've done this so well. You've done this so well. And then he pauses and says, but this I have against you. And then we're going to find out he's going to encourage them on the backside as well. So it's what I would call kind of the Jesus criticism sandwich. On the top is encouragement, the first bun. And then there's the meat of, you need to make some changes here, folks. I'm going to address something. You may not recognize what's going on or what's, what's at work, but we're going to deal with this issue and this situation. I want you to change. And then on the backside, if you do, there's some great stuff ahead. And so there's encouragement. So it's this, this Jesus criticism sandwich with encouragement on both ends. It's actually not a bad way as a leader to communicate with those of you who lead other people, whether you have a business or you are a supervisor or a manager. It's a great way to deal with people. I've tried to actually incorporate this into my life with the people that I lead for several years now after I read how Jesus dealt with the churches. So you don't just blast people. You want to encourage, insert what needs to be talked about, dealt with directly, and then encourage again. All right, here's the, uh, here's the meat in the middle. Verse four, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Man, that's that's a serious correction. To say that you left your first love, to think that that is that important to Jesus, it is. I don't know if there's anything more important. There's, because these folks are doing some good stuff. You're de- I recognize your toil, your perseverance. You don't tolerate evil people. Uh, you've endured for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. These are folks who are engaged in kingdom work activity. They're faithful. But internally, they have left their first love. It's not all about being in love with Jesus anymore. And I think, honestly, as we go through all of these for these churches, I think you can speak of that church, that moment back then, 2,000 years ago, but I also think this message is relevant for us today. Every one of these, actually, I think we can apply for us today in the body of Christ as a whole. So we want to be hearing. And when we are hearing, we're asking the Holy Spirit, if this is me, I want to make a change. I want to make an adjustment where you're um, dealing with an issue, where you're fingering something that I maybe didn't even recognize was there. Whew, I want to heed that. I want to make an adjustment here. And then Jesus follows this up with the other bun, verse six. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He said, I'm in agreement with you that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the tree that Adam and Eve had an opportunity to eat, and they didn't. He's saying for this church, which I think could be applied to us as well, if you overcome, if you will make an adjustment, if you will repent here, keep doing what you're doing, 
hating these deeds of the Nicolaitans as well as the other things you're doing, I'm going to grant you to eat of the tree of life in paradise that's still there after these thousands of years. And there's going to be something incredible ahead for you. So I love that's how Jesus packages this for the church of, of Ephesus. Um, one of the things that I get out of this is that we can never allow our love for Jesus to fade. Man, there's gonna be so many reasons why we do things and some of it can be because we wanna do the right thing and that we want to be involved in the things that God has given to us and not that, that those are bad at all. But inside of every one of us, in our hearts, there should be this growing and hot love for Jesus all of the time. Our first love, you know that feeling you had that when you were so captivated with the Lord, for what he did for you, you felt that release of your sin and that drawing and the nearness and his voice and his closeness and your heart is on fire and alive. You can't get enough of him. That's first love. That's first love. I remember when I met my wife, I, got, I had first love there. I was crazy about her. But you know what? In whether it's marriage, whether it's with Jesus, you have to cultivate and make sure that the priorities are right on the inside in first love with my wife, same with first love with Jesus. We have to cultivate this. We have to take the time and where I'm dull in this area, I need to, as he says to these guys, repent. Now, repentance, you'd think, only relates to just maybe a, a sin that we, do, that we have done. Well, sin is simply meaning I missed the mark. I'm, I was off. I didn't get to where I was supposed to be. Jesus is calling this, leaving our first love with him. We're missing the mark. Let's change our mindset and let's set it back on him and do whatever it takes to be back in love with him. That I'm more in love with him now as I've ever been. And that is where, I'm telling you, that is where the life is. That's where we stay on course. That's where we stay full of life. Where Jesus isn't just a, a good person saying good things, and yes, I'm a Christian, but no, I'm in love with him. It's the reason why I'm alive. It's the reason why I go to church or live the way that I live. I'm his bondservant. I'm his. I'm crazy about him. There's no one like him. There's no one like his presence. And I, I know this, we're, and I've done this. That has faded oftentimes in my life. And... I get into a mess in my mind. I get into a mess in my striving and my activity and get worn out because my first love isn't priority. It's not the, the main thing. It's a danger for all of us. It's a danger for everyone. So if we feel that way, that he's, that's not, I've left my first love in one sense. Here's what Jesus says. All you have to do is repent. Change your mindset. Get back in there with him. Open yourself back up. Tell him how much you love him. Ask for that love to grow. Spend time with him. Hear him. Listen to him. It's what helps us make it through all of the days ahead, is being with him, knowing him personally, hearing his voice. And the degree that I close that off, don't hear that I'm not wide open toward him, they're not growing in love with him, I will get distracted. I will go off course. I may get derailed. 
That's just, that's just how it works. That's why Jesus, the very first thing he says to, to these guys. And then he follows it up with this encouragement that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now that's maybe a little bit unusual or odd because we don't know about the Nicolaitans. We know very little about them. And they're not talked about a lot throughout the scripture. So what is it about the Nicolaitans that they hate? And Jesus says, that's a strong wording. I don't know any other place he says this, actually. Maybe there is, and I don't remember it. But he says, I hate their deeds also. So what is it that Jesus himself hates? Well, the Nicolaitans, in digging in on some of the, the history of them and some of the writings, uh, what we do know, are basically this. These are believers who believe in Jesus but they would be what we would call today hyper-grace people, which is a, something that is, what's, it's really antinomianism, which is believing this. Because Jesus paid for my sin one time for all time, I never need to repent and I, again or confess anything, and I can just live any way that I want to because God's grace covers that. So that... Jesus actually hates that type of mindset that I don't ever have to repent, that I don't ever have to live morally, that it's okay, my immorality just hanging out there, that's okay because God's grace covers that. I can just keep living that way and never change the way that I live. It's a, I'm gonna say it's a, a doctrine of demons. It's a doctrine of demons. And it is it either segments of the body of Christ, this is infiltrated today. Infiltrated today. It's, this is nothing new. This goes all the way back to the Nicolaitans. Now, we want to appreciate absolutely the grace of God that I am forgiven, but I want to, that doesn't give me license to sin and to stay in sin. I have been set free to give my life to him and to live free of sin where sin doesn't have a hold of me. Not that I continue to live in sin and say, well, God's grace covers that. It's okay that I do. He understands. I'm just, I'm just weak. And, you know, I've heard all these excuses. I'm sure you have too, right? Sometimes they come to our own minds as well. The enemy's good at this. You know, well, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's harder for me than other people. You know, my sex drive is so much stronger than others. And so, you know, I just have to do that. I just have to do those things. You know, other people, you know, it's easy for them. God understands, he understands, you know, it's okay that I'm doing these things. I've heard a lot of those type of things. I remember, um, a separate, separate side note here, but way back, this is really, I was young when this happened, Joe Namath, he's a quarterback for the Jets, uh, sleeping around with lots of women, having sex with all these women, Roger Staubach, uh, who was the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, Someone was asking him a question, and he said, I like sex as much as Joe Namath does. I've just chosen to have it with one woman, my wife. So it wasn't that he just couldn't, um, he just had to have this with all these, no, he just said, no, I'm putting it in, the, in these bounds, in these um, guardrails of marriage with my wife. And Jesus is saying here, how it is so important that we hate the things that he hates. 
that we don't let those things get in and start to twist things. And you'll find throughout all of the churches that we're going to talk about, or nearly all, not all of them, several of the churches we're going to talk about, one of the themes that keeps coming out has to do with immorality. Back then, 2,000 years ago, and today. And we can see, even in today, this rising up and elevation of all kind of sexual immorality that the Bible calls immoral living. But the world is elevating it as normal and actually let's brag about it. Let's talk about it. This is great. We're really free. And it's not. And it's not. And Jesus is concerned. John is concerned. The apostles are concerned. I'm concerned that those type of thinking, that type of thinking from the world would creep into the church and that we would be no different than the ways of the world. The very thing that Jesus died for to set us free from, instead of um, seeing what he's done and setting us free, we don't want to grab a hold of those things and apply them to our lives in a, in a false way. It's so harmful. It's detrimental. Uh, and the Bible also talks about whether it's Galatians or Ephesians, all through the scriptures, actually. Sexual morality from Israel in the desert wandering out in the wilderness all the way through, this is a big deal. And there are several levels of immorality. We'll talk about some of that. But basically, any type of sexual activity outside marriage between one man and one woman, done. All of the things that are outside of that, from homosexuality to people living with other people, and that also is just coming to the church in a huge way, just okay to live with my girlfriend, um, you know, we're going to get married anyway, right? I've heard that one several times. Well, we're committed to one another in our hearts. I've heard that one too. But all these, we provide all these reasons to elevate my lusts or my desires above the way that God wants it to be. And guess what? God's super smart. He's super smart. He created mankind. He created sex. It was his idea. He's the one who came up with the idea. He, and he wants us to enjoy it. He created it for enjoyment. But then he said, here's how it's going to be the very best. is within these boundaries. And how about this one? I think of um, diseases, sexually transmitted diseases, diseases, excuse me. If you are married and you keep your sexual relationship between that person only, you cannot get a sexually transmitted disease. Did you realize that? It's really simple. And things like AIDS, which other than blood transfusions, I understand that, uh, that happen from sexual activity that is, would be called immorality, instead of saying, instead of repenting of it, well, let's come up with some sort of a vaccine, let's come sort of with a drug to fix the thing because I want to keep doing this. It's backwards. You can see God going, wait, this is not the way I created this. I love you guys. Here's the best way to do this. And if you'll keep it in the way that I have planned it and made for you to enjoy, you'll be free of this. It's pretty amazing. Okay, we're not going to make it to church number two. <laughs> so, I know also, anytime I talk about this kind of stuff, some of you are angry out there right now, I know it. Um, I'm going to hear things, that's okay. Um, 
I get some people get mad at me for not talking about sin more, and I get other people mad at me when I do talk about sin. So that's just the, this is the way it goes. So I'm not going to talk about it all the time, but I'm going to talk about the words of Jesus. Jesus is the one talking about this. He really is. And it's important for us, his bondservants, so that we stay free. So that we stay free. There's bondage on the other side. And it's not how he made it. And he loves us so much. And he wants us to be free in our heart, our minds, our heart and our minds, all of our lives in keeping him first. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we get to not only read, but we get to hear and we get to heed. And Lord, we ask that as you are speaking these words to your body, to those that you love, that you care about, that you're crazy about, that you died for, we are those sons and daughters of God. Thank you for calling us that. Thank you for bringing us into your family. And Lord, we also want to be your bond servants, those that give you our ear to listen, but to be pierced, to be those who have been freed, but choose to stay with you forever choose to live for you, choose to give our hearts to you, choose to give our bodies to you, choose to give our lives to you, choose to give our future to you. If we have never seen ourselves as bondservants today, we, we make that choice this day, this day to follow you with our every breath. It's not for ourselves. This life is not for ourselves. It's to live for the one who loved me so much he gave everything that I would be free. Lord, may we all in here be your bond servants. And I ask that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, if there's anything in there that you want us to adjust or to give of ourselves to you. And Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, you are so magnificent in every way. Thank you for speaking so personally. Thank you for loving us so much. Lead us in your ways and we will obey. We will put it into practice. Lord, we will divorce ourselves from thinking of some of this hyper-grace, Nicolaitan thinking because you hate it. And so Lord, or put, put that hate in us toward those things, never people, but toward those things that are doctrines of demons. Lord, I bless this fellowship, every person, every family member, every individual. Lord, I ask you to give us strength to do the right thing, that you give us courage to live before you. Lord, that you would give us a love that would propel us more than anything else. Love for you, first love. And we get back to that place of first love with you. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for what you have for us ahead. We want to even just say it now. We love you. Here's my life. Use me, Lord. Fill me. Empower me. Give me the courage to do everything I need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys okay? No one threw one thing at me today, or if you did, you missed. I didn't see it coming. Hey, God has great stuff for us. And it just gets better and better in him. We can't go wrong as we follow him. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, 
visit awakechurch.com.